Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Mike Rosenberg from Columbia Credit Union. Mike says they trust what they see and hear on OPB, and that aligns with Columbia Credit Union's brand. From the Gert Boyle Studio at OPB, this is Think Out Loud. I'm Dave Miller. Ben Hoffman is the first Oregon doctor to serve as the president of the American Academy of Pediatrics in 84 years. He's been a pediatrician at OHSU since 2011. For his career, he has combined his own clinical work with efforts to change policies at the state and national levels to promote children's health. He joins me now to talk about his career and his current priorities as this new president of the American Academy of Pediatrics. Welcome to the show. Thanks. It's amazing to be here. How did you choose pediatrics as your specialty? That was actually pretty easy. I went to college thinking I was going to be a pediatrician. really focused on getting into medical school, and then through that whole process, um, had the opportunity, as, as everybody does in medical school, to spend time in different specialties. But nothing else lured you. There was nothing even close. Okay, well then, but you knew as a high schooler then that you wanted to be a pediatrician. I thought that's what I wanted to be, yeah. Why? Um, I knew that I wanted to do good things for kids. I loved working with kids. I'd worked as a tutor and a soccer coach and... Um, knew that I loved science, and that was the perfect way to put them together. Hmm. So let's zoom forward a bit. Um, One of the first issues that you became focused on from a public health policy perspective was car seats. So what was the time frame here? When when was that? That actually began in the winter of 1997. What prompted that? Um, I was a pediatrician working in a hospital in the Indian Health Service with the Indian Health Service on the Navajo Nation. Um, and over the course of uh, several consecutive call nights, was called to the ER to take care of um, kids who'd been critically injured in car crashes, none of whom were restrained. And I remember after the fifth one standing in the ER, just angry as hell, saying to myself, somebody has to do something about this. Hmm. What did you do? Um, I started out by learning everything I didn't know about car seats, and, and that included the law, it included American Academy of Pediatric Policy, um, and then going to the community and working with them to figure out what the problems were and how to craft the solutions. Were they not required or the norm at that po- point? They were. New Mexico's law at that point was not very good. It only required car seats up to age one. And then after age one, a seat belt was determined to be, was, was allowed by the law. And that was something we knew needed to change, but we also knew that was going to be a long game. Hmm. You had been trained to be a doctor, right? You, I imagine you hadn't been trained to be an advocate or a, a policy person. How much overlap was there? There's more overlap than you would think. Um, I had some really good role models and mentors who had worked in that space, but I really didn't receive the training. So I learned how to do it on my own and then became convinced that that was part of what my mission was going to be, is helping to transform the training to ensure that the pediatricians we were producing in the future would be the pediatricians that kids and families and communities really need. Hmm. What were the lessons you learned that in terms of how to be an effective spokesperson or or policy communicator or, or someone to actually, you know, change the way society is set up? Because it, it really does seem like different skills. It, it really is. And, you know, it's something that, that um, again, I learned by doing. And 
I learned very early it's really important to, to identify what your North Star is and stick to that North Star to understand that you need to start small and fail small and that it's going to be a long game. Um, that relationships are key. Um, engaging the communities, working with people who are in positions of power um, to build trust and then to be able to harness the passion, the energy, the expertise to be able to address that. And one of the things that I learned very early on is that while pediatricians and physicians in general may not be comfortable in the halls of power, there's a place for us. And our voice can be incredibly powerful. Are there any ways in which advocacy work, and, and I'm thinking less about something like car seats, which are not particularly politicized, and more about, say, gun control, which you have spoken about, you've testified, say, to the Oregon legislature and other places. Um, can advocacy make your clinical work more challenging? Yes and no. I think the clinical work helps bring stories to the advocacy um, and it's really the stories and the personal experience of, for me, for the, the patients and families for whom I care, that drive the work, but also help change people's um, hearts and minds. I mean, I'm, what comes to mind is, for example, when you've testified to say, I had a patient who, a young patient who died by suicide because they accessed uh, uh, an unlocked loaded rifle in their family's possession. That's part of your testimony you've given. That's an example of one of your patients that you can tell lawmakers about. Absolutely. But I guess I'm wondering if if any of your patients or their their families see you as someone who is speaking out, say, about um, gun laws, and if that and if, if they disagree with your position, if that makes it less likely for them to then listen to you when you talk about other aspects of their health. So I think it's incumbent on us to meet the, fam the, the patients and families that we work with where they are. Um, and you know, if we talk about firearms in specific, I'm not in a position, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna push a position that is anti-gun. I'm gonna start with, because I'm not, I'm gonna start with where we all can get to yes on and that no child should ever be injured by a firearm and acknowledge a, a family's absolute right to own a firearm, but then to identify what the specific risks may be within their family and how we can mitigate those in a way that's going to protect the kids. Hmm. If you're just tuning in, we're talking right now with the Portland pediatrician, Ben Hoffman. He is a new president of the American Academy of Pediatrics. What are some of the public health risks to young people uh, in American society right now that you think are not getting enough attention? I think we hear a lot about the mental and behavioral health crisis that exists, um, but we are nowhere close to, being, to addressing it in the way that we need to. Um, the American Academy of Pediatrics two years ago issued a, a notification of a national emergency around child and adolescent behavioral health. We just reissued it in November. Um, well, can you give us a sense for what you and colleagues have seen in, in, you know, with your patients that led to that call? The 
personal experience of working with families who and ki- with children and adolescents who were suffering from um, behavioral health issues, anxiety, depression, eating disorders, um, has just absolutely ballooned in the last couple of decades um, to the point where, you know, even in my training in the mid '90s, we really didn't learn much about psychiatric meds and anti-anxiety meds and those sort of things. And now it is that that's part of our bread and butter. Um, 20% of children in this country currently have a diagnosable behavioral health issue. Um, the landscape has just completely changed. Training is changing, but there is, we need to acknowledge that behavioral health, mental health is health. And the way that the system and society tends to deal with it is separating it out. Um, we also need to start thinking about it in terms of how we build systems and supports for families and kids so that we can buffer them from the issues that lead to anxiety, depression, those sorts of things. I'm glad you brought that up because, I mean, the, the analogy isn't perfect, but in a sense, um, having, you know, three and four-year-olds in car seats or having guns locked up, th- those are prevention efforts, right? So, so what is the prevention that you think is not happening nearly enough um, that could lead to lower rates uh, of youth mental illness. So I think we have to go far upstream for that. And you know, this gets back this gets to then maternal and child health. So ensuring that maternal health preg- during pre-pregnancy and pregnancy is optimized, that deliveries go well, um, and that we're supporting young children and their parents and caregivers. Um, with the resources that they need to develop to help provide a stable, nurturing, safe, loving environment. Hmm. What role do you think pediatricians can or should play in the fentanyl crisis? So I think the biggest impact, at least from my experience in the around fentanyl, is the is parents and friends and relatives more on the adult side. We we are seeing horrible, unfortunate ingestions of fentanyl among youth. Um, and the fact that it's out on the streets, that's really the problem. Um, you know, I think a lot of this gets back to behavioral health issues and need for self-medication. So I think that, 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 that that's a huge question that would require hours to be able to unpack, but it's definitely, we're definitely feeling the impacts. I mean, do you think that pediatricians should be telling their 13-year-old patients, um, uh, you know, these pills are out there, you could encounter them at a party, don't take any pill um, that's, that doesn't come from a doctor or a parent? I mean, is that something that pediatricians are now in the habit of saying? I, I'm afraid it is. Yeah, I mean, we because we see the impacts, we we know we hear we live the stories, and so we know what the issues are. We have to be talking about that with kids in the same way we talk about, you know, uh, dealing with alcohol and tobacco and liquid nicotine and all those sort of other sorts of things. This is just another threat that's emer- that has emerged that that we need to stay on top of and work with families and kids to be able to to mitigate the risks. What are some of the other ways? Do you think that the practice of pediatrics has changed since you entered the profession? Um, so I think it has become more specialized. Um, we, as, as a general pediatrician, when I started in my career, 
I did a little bit of everything. I attended deliveries you know, for C-sections and, and when there was complications. I attended in the newborn nursery. I took care of kids on an, uh, kids on an inpatient unit. And we've seen um, the rise of subspecialties within general pediatrics, so hospitalists who only care for hospitalized kids. Um, are you talking about the changes that are more obvious in bigger cities with academic hospitals? It's happening even in community hospitals. Huh. Um, and I think the and, you know, other things that we have seen are there has been a there is a acknowledgement that the social impactors of health are are something that we need to be addressing as a health care system which becomes the pediatrician's role that the what the the morbidity mortality the things that kill kids or or make kids sick have changed over even just the the three decades that I've been a pediatrician how well is training keeping up with those changes i think training's keeping up pretty well with those changes i was i was in charge of the residency training program for pediatrics at the university of new mexico for almost 9 years before i came to oregon um, i think things are adapting um, and the recognition of the behavioral health crisis, the need for advocacy and, and to address the ability to be able to address the social drivers of health is, is definitely built into the training programs. What did you look for in a pediatrician for your own kids when you became a parent? Um, somebody who I could trust, somebody who I could talk to. Um, I think for me, it was a it was a slightly different process than I think it is for most families because my wife is a pediatrician as well, and we wanted somebody who would be able to talk to us as parents and not treat us necessarily as colleagues because we were, would you know the, you would think that two pediatricians having a kid that's as close to informed consent as you get, and my wife and I were blindsided in the beginning by how clueless and scared we felt having a newborn at home. Huh. I mean, it's a, it's a well-known phrase that, that doctors make the worst patients. And I, I, get, I hadn't thought about pediatricians as parents and, and what that is like. But when you say, so you felt unprepared? I mean, that's a classic feeling for, I mean, I, I remember when I got in the car with my wife and we took our, our first kid home, I mean, there was a feeling, wait, you're letting us just go home with this thing? Uh, but we're not, we don't know what we're doing. But it, it is surprising to, to imagine that pediatricians, two of them, would feel anything like that. Because we'd never taken one home before, to be honest with you. You, know, and the fact <laughs> you that, don't get to take them home when, when, when they're right. your patients. You know, we, were, we, we had our first when we were just after, right after we'd finished residency. We'd spent you know, three years doing 48-hour shifts every third or fourth night. But we got to go home, and there was respite. Um, having a baby who, you know... 24-7 changes everything. And it's also, you know, you, you think differently, which is why it's really important for pediatricians not to be the, the, the doctors for their kids. Hmm. What was it like to become a parent when you were acutely aware, I, I imagine, of, of the, the beauty and profundity of birth and of young life, but also more so than, than, than most of us, I imagine much more acutely aware of the, the, the million ways that things can go wrong. Um, I think we tried really hard just to be parents in that scenario and to not overthink it and to 
have resources. You know, we listen to our moms the same way that I think everybody listens to their moms. Hmm. Um, as children, as opposed to children of, of adult children and parents, as opposed to pediatricians. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I think we tried not to be pediatricians. Hmm. Would you go into pediatrics today, given the economic realities, which we don't have time to get into now, but in, and the ways that, that your profession has changed over the last couple decades, would, would you still want to go into pediatrics? I, to be 100% honest, I can't imagine anything I would rather do. Um, Why? What do you love about this job? I love, as a general pediatrician as, and a clinician, the opportunity, the privilege of having deep, significant, meaningful relationships with kids and families and working with them to help ensure their well-being, to watch the growth both of the child but also of the parents and the family, um, and to be able to fight for what's right, for justice. Mm -hmm. um, kids you know, get screwed left and right, and the system really does not is not built to support kids and working to be able to mitigate that is a privilege and it's something that gets me out of bed every single day. You have three years in this current position, is that right? Yeah, there's a year of president-elect, president, and then past president. What what will you what do you hope to be able to say when this is done that you've accomplished? That we did during my tenure, we continued to do the amazingly good work that the academy has done um, for almost a hundred years that we have we kept to our north star which is to do what's best for kids um, and that um, we that we will have tangible outcomes whether it's legislation the policy that we create with it that, that we draft within the academy that we will have tangible products and outcomes to show for it. Ben Hoffman, thank you very much for coming in. I really appreciate it. This has been a blast. Thank you. Ben Hoffman is a professor of pediatrics at OHSU. He is also the president of the American Academy of Pediatrics.